Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver, refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning into February 21st, 2021. Uh, Welcome to those in LA. Welcome to those coming in from colder and frostier climes. Uh, It feels good this morning knowing that life around us might slowly be reopening. Uh, You can feel it, can't you? As soon as we have any info from San Marino, where our venue is, where we normally meet for in-person worship, uh, as soon as we get some info from them, we'll let you know uh, our plans uh, going forward. But for the next little while, it looks like we're just going to still be virtual until we work out uh, a system. We are beginning a new six-week series on lament entitled Healing and Lament, which might sound a little (laughs) counterintuitive in light of this last year. You might feel like you've had quite enough of lament. Thank you very much. We need some brightness in here. Uh, The house is a little gray and we need to spruce it up with some light and joy. I'm inviting you into what is commonly called the Lent or Lenten season. And it's the 40 days before Easter. And it's 40 days of lament as a way of wisdom, understanding, and even deep healing. Yes, there is healing in godly lament. And so we're going to use six different psalms over six weeks that are lament Psalms. They were written as laments. Uh, and, and we get two different types of laments in the Psalms. Uh, one is communal or community-driven lament, and the other one is individual. Uh, one describes the systemic, institutional, cultural laments that we all can readily see around us in a broader community, in a broader society and culture. And two, of course, the other describes lament of brokenness uh, that we feel, experience, and see internally and personally. And so we're going to alternate psalms. This week, we're going to have a psalm that is a communal lament. And next week, we will have a psalm that calls us to personal lament. And we will alternate for six weeks. Psalm 12 today is a communal psalm of lament. And David asks the question, where have the faithful vanished to? 
Where have the faithful vanished to? I want to talk briefly about what godly lament is and is not. And then I want to look around and apply David's question from Psalm 12. Where are the godly ones? Uh, where are the fa faithful vanished to? And, and I'm going to apply those to things that we see around us. Um, I'm going to invite you into lament. To be sad for our culture. Our city. Our nation and our globe. Um, to, I'm calling you into lament to be sad for your neighbor even if it doesn't affect you. I'm asking you and calling you into lament this morning to be sad at the broken state of things. And then we're going to ask God into that. So uh, let's say you came here this morning and you tuned in and you opened up your browser and you were in a pretty decent mood. Things are opening up. The sun is shining. You're lined up for a vaccine. The Dodgers might even be better than last year. Your stocks are blazing and your mood is pretty decent. And then you open up Zoom and there is some dude in front of you calling you to lament. What a downer. It's like going to a musical and then realizing you walked in on a funeral. You could say this, you could say internally, you say, you know, I guess this series really isn't for me. Um, I guess I'll just see everybody at Easter. I don't have time for all of you hang dog, pity party scab pickers. I don't know if you'd say that out loud, but you could think it. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, I would mention C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis mentions and talks about the forms of liturgies inside of worship, things that we say aloud, things that we repeat, things that we say responsively, things that we read that are not extemporaneous from just whatever we're feeling at the moment. And he talks about how uh, these things, in, uh, how we enter into these things for the sake of our soul and our mind and our body. And he writes this, he writes that these ruts and tracks in these forms of worship actually help to pull one's soul and mind to greater truths. And he says that we might not even actually feel those feelings in the moment. It helps us in this sense, he says, is that we can engage in God's truth when our circumstances could very well be the very opposite. And, and so Lewis gives an opposite sounding example. He says, what if you came to worship with a sad, heavy, grieving heart? And there in worship, you find people celebrating with the language of joy and the language of hope. He asks the question, does one walk out? Press X on the browser and find a pub with people to commiserate with? Or does one enter into the language of joy guiding you to realize that there is hope in the middle of your grief? That's what you're going to find. If you don't seem in the mood for lament this morning, you will find the language and experience that will give you wisdom beyond your experience.
you, you might also find the language to make sense of your experience. And hopefully, you will find the Jesus of lament. One who walks with those who lament. One who is always near the brokenhearted, the lamenting. One who is always near those who touch the brokenness of this world. Brene Brown, author, speaker, TED Talker, uh, talks of coming back to church in midlife after much brokenness and being surprised to find a weeping Jesus. What is lament? What is godly, biblical lament? It is a season. It's a limited period of time. It's not all of life. It's 40 days, and I'm inviting you into 40 days of your year. If you look at a calendar year, um, 40 days is not 365. It's about 11% of your year. I'm asking you to tithe your time and stay in lament for about 10% of your time. Um, lament is reality. We want to say that. But it's not all of reality. Uh, if you spent all 365 days in lament, people would begin to avoid you. And they would be right to do so. I once told a friend that I like watching gritty, tough, dark movies because they seem more real, more authentic, more honest to reality. And he had an interesting comment for me. He said, Tim, did you know that rainbows and kittens are real and authentic too? What was he saying? The darkness, or we could say lament, is not all of reality. It is only partial. All right. Lament is simply recognizing brokenness. And it's the kind where you put your hands up and, and, and you say, how, do, how does this ever get right? Even the solutions add to the problems. Um, lament has this hopelessness that happens apart from Christ. Lament will always beat a path and eventually end up as God as the healer and the solution. It won't end up with human solutions. Lament recognizing, uh, recognizes something, especially with individual or personal lament. It, 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 it recognizes that it starts here all the stuff we can't stand, it starts here. It's lament is a brokenness of what is lies within. But that's not all. Lament also recognizes that sin presses on us from without. Lament recognizes brokenness within and brokenness without. Uh, lament is not this. Lament is not an act that we do that will twist God's arm to work for us more or love us more or maybe at the end of 40 days give us extra cash and a boyfriend. 
No. It's not, it cannot manipulate God. It's not an act of super spirituality that will impress me or others. Lament is not a conniption fit. It's not melodramatic contrivance. Okay? Uh, you may feel real grief and lament in the form of tears in the next 40 days. But most of us in our community will not express that lament in tears. Our community is not necessarily an emotive one. I am probably, I emote more than you, and you've probably seen it. Um, now, the absence of tears doesn't mean that you are not lamenting. And tears, the presence of tears, doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it better as well. Godly lament is not necessarily wailing and scratching and crying till the pain stops. Uh, we get this great example in Hosea. Uh, God calls Hosea to speak to the people of God and to repent and points out brokenness all over their community. And so the people of Israel in Hosea is they turn up their wokeness and they start crying louder and they start cutting themselves and they start giving or performing more and more animal sacrifices. Anything. They turn up their wokeness to how wrong things are around. And Hosea and God says, oh, 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 that is not lament. Your extra sacrifices are obscene to me. Obscene to me. See, godly lament is not going through this process of cathartic poor gazing so that we feel better. No. It's lamenting that things are broken and we cannot fix them apart from God. I, I was watching a little clip um, from Bill Maher and uh, he was talking about um, uh, Andrew Yang, uh, a presidential candidate at one point. Uh, it, he said that um, he didn't feel, uh, a, a Saturday Night Live writer had written something racist and um, he got fired and Andrew Yang said that uh, he didn't feel like the SNL writer should have been fired. And Bill Maher says this. He says, um, you can't be um, more offended than the victim. And uh, because what had happened is Twitter got offended and said that Yang was a racist for not being offended. Um, see, the self-loathing of white progressives, and I include myself, self-loathing of white pastors, perhaps, is not lament. Um, Mar gets it. He says, it's, it's virtue signaling. It's about you and your wokeness. It's not about those who are offended or affected. Godly lament is not even getting to the point of feeling super guilty or responsible and sorry. We might call that repentance, but it's not godly lament, per se. Godly lament is recognizing that something is wrong. It is messed up for your neighbor and your culture, though it may not even affect you. 
Godly lament is seeing that the system is broken and it's not getting repaired through years and years of human leadership and strategies and policies and power shifts and pogroms. It's, it's not getting fixed. Godly lament is staying in the sadness of what is truly messed up and messing up the lives of others. Now, on the other hand, um, wokeness is seeing the superficial problem, but not really seeing the roots of the problem. Wokeness will always find another to blame instead of finding oneself to blame. Wokeness is convenient grief, but it's unwilling to attach itself to it and, and link oneself and one's own part in it. Let me give you an example. Uh, wokeness would be this. Um, I am sad that the injustice was so brutally meted out on George Floyd. That would be wokeness if I didn't do this. Tim, did you know that your housing decisions and your educational decisions and your business decisions and your investment decisions had a distinct part in creating the system that killed George Floyd? See, one is wokeness and the other one is lament. Uh, wokeness will go overboard in external grief and sadness and apologies and, and they'll be falling over themselves to declare themselves not racist. That's wokeness. I have a friend, black friend. He was in a restaurant meeting with another friend and a, a lady came, came up to him and said, oh, you must be so-and-so. And he goes, nope, that's not me. And so she goes away and then she comes back um, in kind of a, a, a fluster and she goes, look, look, I just want you to know, I don't, I don't, I don't think black people all look the same. And he goes, okay, thank you so much. And she goes away. And then, uh, she comes back and she goes, I, I'm so sorry. I just want to let you know that I am not like that. That is, and he goes, okay, that's great. It, it's okay. Fine. Yeah. No, I, no problem. And so she goes away, comes back again, falling over herself to apologize. And, and finally he says, you know, I'm really not upset about that. I, I, I'm more upset that now you're interrupting my meeting with this person. See, see, wokeness will go overboard because it can never be perceived in a bad light. And lament attaches oneself to what is going on. And there's not an external falling overness to making things right. Wokeness is about yourself being woke. It's not about the absolute dignity and preservation and honor. It's about yourself looking woke. Godly lament is saying this. That is wrong. It's messed up. It's broken. I, I grieve that's messed up. I, I grieved up its messed upness um, for how contrary life should work. So here I've been rambling, but you need to get this definition for lament. Godly lament and biblical lament is grief at what should be but is not. Godly lament, biblical lament, is grief at what should not be, but is. Now, godly lament, especially Psalm 12 this morning, it's not asking the entire world to see their part in the brokenness. It's not. It's a little lower bar. It puts the spotlight on us. It's asking God's people to see it. 
David's question is chilling to me. Where are the faithful? Where are the faithful vanished to? Where are God's people in this broken situation? Why did they bail? Why can't I see God's people in broken situations? Psalm 12, 1. Oh Lord, the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Now communal lament won't be for us to point out all the stupid people doing stupid people things all over the globe. Godly lament sees the broken things and says, why are we not there? Oh, 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 we've got to lament that too. Not just the brokenness, but our absence in the brokenness. Please listen to this. In a community of people who get things done, we are a community of people who get things done. Do not mention this to me in 40 days, okay? Do not say, okay, okay, but what should we do about it? Don't run there yet. Would Could you j- just lament? Can you stay in lament for 40 days and let lament do its deep and proper work? Stay with me in lament. Let it do what it's supposed to do. Bring us to God and then redemption. But don't rush somewhere else to get out of the feeling and the shock of lament. Don't run somewhere. Many of you are going to be beside yourselves asking me for application and you have all of these ideas that you want to email me. Don't do it. This is the application. Stay with me. Stay with me in lament for 40 days. And you will discover what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7 where he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Because He says this, For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. The living will hold it close. Lament will do a work if you let it, and it will do a work that sticks with you. But don't run yet. Don't run from it in trying to fix it. Stay in lament with me for 40 days. So let's apply David's question to Los Angeles? Where have the faithful gone? Where have they vanished to? Um, Housing studies, official housing studies since about the 1950s, it depicts Los Angeles in a place of constant segregation, both supported by policy and also voluntary movement. Um, With every decision a person makes, a person with resources, to select a nice house in a safer neighborhood, gradually, over time, selects and filters all those that are socioeconomically similar into the same neighborhoods and the same places. Um, The problem of Los Angeles is quite different from New York City, although they have their own problems. In New York City, you can have a Section 8 house right next to a multi-million dollar brownstone. In 
multiple studies, Los Angeles is more stratified and more segregated than any other global city in America. What do we say? That is so messed up. That is not right. Oh God, oh God, where are your faithful? Did you know that nicer communities have uh, less rentals and less units, apartments, or houses for lease or low-income housing options? In turn, their public schools are better, but they're not really available to those who need them most. What do we say? That is messed up. That is not right. Oh God, oh God. Where are your faithful? Where are your faithful in that brokenness? Let's talk about business. If you own a business and it is not in your immediate community or neighborhood, it has long-reaching implications. Um, If you are a commuting business owner, especially a business owner um, that meets primary human needs, um, you will, uh, studies have shown that you will make decisions based more on the bottom line than business owners who live among their neighbors. See, see, commuting and distant ownership has real implications and consequences. My interests don't have to exist for my immediate neighbor because I don't live there. What do we say? Psalm 12, that is so messed up. That is so broken. That is not right. Oh God, oh God, where are your faithful? Let's talk about food. There's a propagation of food deserts in Los Angeles. What does that mean? Access to quality food, healthy food, economical food. If you don't live among your neighbors and you have a business that supplies food, um, you will not supply them with healthy options, but those those foodstuffs that have the greatest amount of profit. Um, If you're not going to start a business as it relates to primary needs in neighborhoods that need it the most. And so food deserts emerge. Availability, um, proximity, um, healthy choices, prices will go up. Um, Why do liquor stores and convenience stores have so many little aisles filled with so many options, including um, cleaning supplies, car supplies, little aisles filled with just maybe two or three um, of the same type because another store may not be within walking reach. And so... um, If you ever look at those prices, next time you're in a convenience store, be it 7-Eleven or somewhere else, go along those aisles and pick up a a household item that's not a soda or chips. And you look at the price and you will know this. You will know that you will find that at a much better deal elsewhere. Why are they marked up? Because the poor do not have access to walk to other stores. And so what? Even more money is made on the backs of the poor. I know you've read this article about grocery chains closing stores rather than bump up hazard pay for frontline workers. You know what we say? We say that is messed up. That is not right. Oh God, oh God, where you're faithful. Let's talk about mobility tomorrow. 
Um, it, it, walkability and access to all basic needs is huge. It's not just about food desert. Uh, if access to, to uh, buses and public transit, uh, did you know that, lo- you already know this, lower incomes um, or lower income users are the ones that use public transit. And not only that, is it affects the time budget of their day. They can use up to 33% more of their day in travel. This has impact on their to-do list and their relationships and psychology and fatigue and stress. One missed transfer can result in severe employment instability. What's our refrain from Psalm 12 and David? Communal lament, that is broken, that is messed up, that is not right. Oh God, oh God, where are your faithful? Let's talk about schools. The flight you're, talk, you're looking at me. The flight of the well-educated and resourced to schools also means that their peers stop being an aid to their other disadvantaged peers. I, I get this term from the New York Times, but South Pass, South Pasadena, has um, encourages a boutique diversity. It doesn't matter if the whites are in the minority. They, the whites are supporting and attending public schools because minorities are adjusting and fitting their own values and educational goals. Uh, The whites in communities like South Pass like the idea of being around diversity because it doesn't cost them anything. Um, It doesn't, their attendance of their kids because they want their kids to be around diversity, their attendance doesn't actually help the troubles or the plight or the values of those who are in historically um, minority power roles. Boutique diversity only helps those who like how it looks. What's our refrain? That is messed up. That is not right. Oh God, oh God, where are your faithful? Let's talk about real estate. I was talking to a a, a real estate agent and he was saying, um, once black ownership goes beyond 27 to 33% composition of a neighborhood, property values can go down. I was talking to another real estate agent and he said, we cannot say, um, if someone asks him, is this a good neighborhood or a bad neighborhood? We know that that is code. And so real estate agents cannot say, oh, this is a good neighborhood or a bad neighborhood. But what you, I had a real estate agent say, but you could ask me, would I live there? And so if the real estate agent say, I personally wouldn't live here, you know, oh, that is a bad neighborhood. Um, This was in the news this past week, uh, four days ago, Uh, a couple in California from Marin City, a black couple. Uh, had their home appraised. They had um, bought it, it, had, it, it appraised for a little under a million dollars, $989,000. And, um, and it appraised for only $100,000 more than they had bought it for when they had added 1,000 square feet and had full renovations. Now, a white friend posed as the owner and had another appraisal and it enjoyed a 500K bump upward. That has massive real implications to how a middle class builds not just wealth, but generational wealth. Um, Look at this picture. 
This is, let me give you something closer to home. This is from South Pasadena. It's a mural, a painted mural about the good old days when there was a community pool in South Pasadena over at Orange Grove Park. Now, this is a picture of revisionist history because the community pool at that time, the plunge, um, was segregated. No blacks allowed. Now, the whites in South Pasadena, instead of integrating it under pressure, they just filled it in. See, this mural gives a strange revisionist history, doesn't it? If we both have to have it, then none of us will. And then the powerful and the wealthy will build their own clubs and their own pools. What's our refrain? Psalm 12, that is messed up, that is broken, that is not right. Oh God, oh God, where are your faithful? Uh, Since March 2020, March 2020, about a year ago, the educated middle class in America has grown wealthier by a margin that is larger than the same period from 2019 to 2020 in a pandemic. And we know this, the poorest among us were the ones most exposed to potential harm. What's our refrain? That is messed up. That is broken. That's not right. Oh God, where are your faithful? Psalm 12, 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in safety for which he longs. David's question in Psalm 12, where are the faithful? Where are my people? Where are the ones I have said and told to enter into brokenness? Now, before you run to your guilt, before you run to strategies, before you run to forgiveness and grace and redemptive practices practices and policies, it will be hard to stay here. Stay in lament. Stay with me. Stay with me. Before we do anything else, don't send me emails about what we need to do about it until after Easter, okay? Stay in lament with me. Let it do its work. If you talk to those in offices of influences and councils and public policy makers, every single decision that they make for helping people has a cascade of competing unknown, unrealized consequences. And they will tell you this, some days it feels like it got worse, but in a different way. That is so messed up. That is so broken. That is not right. Oh God, where are are the faithful. I want you to find a reasonable, helpful public policy or proposed solution and NPR will find the people that it hurts. I listen to NPR faithfully. I call this the NPR effect. Um, um, Find a good policy and they will find the handful of people that that policy hurts and disaffects. What's our refrain? That is so messed up. That is not right. Oh God, where are your faithful? Stay with me in lament. 
let God do his work on the hearts, on our hearts, in lament. And just know in your head, Easter's coming. Easter's coming. Pray with me. Our Father and God, help us stay in lament. And let it do its deep heart work, soul work, mind work. May it draw us and bring us to you and you alone on the heels of that may we find redemption for creation around us may we find healing in your wings in Jesus name